I thought what we would do is I'd give you a little report uh, on what we did. Uh, it was a pretty amazing time, and I have some <clears throat> thought there. You have a handout, but I want to make some connections here because one of the overwhelming things that I, at least I learned is uh, how one person can make such a difference, uh, whether it's John Wesley or Charles or whether it's Hal Harris in Wales who started the revival there or John Newton who was a farmer slave trader and became a pastor or William Cowper. I, all of these people, you know, they didn't have television and radio and they didn't have all the technology of that. But their walk with God was so strong and powerful that uh, we're talking about it today. And uh, I just came back from that trip thinking, okay, God, how has my life uh, been uh, an influence, <clears throat> not only now, but for generations to come? I think it's a valuable question to ask uh, for all of us to think about our influence, our, our, uh, what's, what our life is. So I want to kind of go a little bit there. So I thought I'd give you a little bit of a trip here on this. We started out <clears throat> um, at a place called... Um, Cheddar Gorge, and uh, it's actually an area here. <clears throat> There's a Deborah and <clears throat> Marty and others. There's a rock here that was, uh, oh, it's always been there, actually. They didn't move it. It's, yeah, it's been there. Uh, and in 1730 or 1762, somewhere around there, uh, uh, Augustus Toplady, who wrote the song, A Mighty, uh, back up, uh, I'm still here, right? No, not that. That's Luther. Um, Rock of Ages. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any notes that I thought I had this, but <laughs> that moment at yard did it. Uh, <clears throat> but he was caught in a storm here at one point one night and got in those rocks in that cleft and uh, <clears throat> penned those incredible words of Rock of Ages. So we spent a little bit of time there kind of reflecting on that. And then uh, we moved around uh, to uh, Olney, uh, Olney, England, little uh, village. And this is where John Newton uh, <clears throat> pastored uh, uh, and uh, William Cowper. They, call, they pronounce it Cooper in England. Remember the song, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Well, he was a hymn writer, and John Newton was a hymn writer. Uh, and there was a thing there, a songbook called the Olney Hymns that were written by both Cooper and by uh, Newton. And uh, uh, there's a great relationship here I'll talk about here in just a moment. But one of the things about William Cowper, or they call him Cooper, was uh, his uh, deep depression. Uh, he was a very sensitive person and uh, had a deep, deep regard and love for God. And I've always been a bit intrigued by his life. Because in many ways, John, John Newton saved him. Uh, Cooper, or Cowper, <clears throat> Cowper had, again, this deeply sensitive soul, wrote many, many hymns. God uh, works in wondrous ways, his wonder, or God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. You heard that one? That, that's one. But Cooper, because of much of his sensitivity, like, tried to kill himself three different times. And uh, <clears throat> one person wrote an article about this some years ago called Insanity Tried to Destroy Him. And it was John Newton who was a steady influence in his life that stayed with him and counseled with him and kept him alive. And uh, I've often thought how uh, people uh, don't sometimes realize that even people that love Jesus and that have, uh, you know, had great uh, creativity and like that can still feel very, very far from God. 
And uh, I, I love what Wesley said, not on this particular account, but Wesley uh, talked about that the, uh, the assurance of salvation is a wonderful thing. But he said, you have to remember, you're not saved by assurance, you're saved by faith. And uh, so Cooper uh, really uh, wrestled with this. And it's a very <clears throat> moving uh, relationship and friendship between these two. We went to both their houses. This is uh, <clears throat> uh, the, the church that John Newton uh, pastored uh, there in Olney. And it was, it was built in, as I recall, about 1380. Uh, they don't tear anything down over there <clears throat> and, uh, and uh, redo it. Uh, but uh, 13, this is uh, some of us walking in. Uh, it was about 64 degrees. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Uh, there are gravestones here that are so old you can't even read them. Uh, but this church, and what, what a marvelous thing. Now, what was interesting about this town, Olney, uh, it's a little, uh, little, little village there. Uh, again, Newton and Cooper wrote lots of hymns. But when we were there, I said to Becky, this is Becky. <laughs> we're there in Olney. I didn't ask for that permission today, so okay. Uh, we're in Olney, and I said, Beck, this is the town that has the pancake run where women put on their aprons and they run with a pancake in a skillet and flip it. And their sister city is liberal Kansas. Becky remembers as a little girl seeing that run on Pancake, is it Pancake Boulevard or Pancake? Yeah, Pancake Boulevard. And I thought, here we are in Kansas. Or here we, no, we're not in Kansas. <clears throat> no, we're definitely not in Kansas. <clears throat> but here we are in England and we're thinking about southwestern Kansas. But I thought, so we had to have a pancake. Uh, you know, that would that'd just be wrong. So <clears throat> kind, of, kind of an interesting feature there. Um, then, kind of in chronology, this is not exactly what we want, but this is a picture of Samuel and Susanna Wesley. Uh, we went to Epworth, uh, where um, I had the privilege and honor of preaching. But this is his mother and father. Um, and uh, Samuel was a rector at an Anglican church or Church of England. Um, and his mother raised or had 19 children. Uh, 12 survived. 12 survived. Uh, and the interesting thing is that they had both come out of, and um, this has a lot to do with uh, England's kind of his, religious history. They had been what we call dissenters. Uh, uh, Samuel had been, his family, and uh, Susanna. Dissenters were people in 1562... Uh, the, the, called the Act, of Unif uh, the Act of Superiority is where the king and the parliament passed that the king would be the head of the church and the state. You remember, we had some people come over here that decided we're not going to do that. Uh, because the king, and to this day, uh, the queen still appoints uh, bishops and rectors and pastors to churches. That It goes through the queen's office. Uh, and that's called the Act of Superiority. A little bit later, they had the Act of Uniformity, the Act of Uniformity, which meant that if you were going to be a pastor or a preacher in a church and you weren't a dissenter, you had to adhere to the um, uh, book, uh, Thomas Cramer's uh, Book of Common Prayer, uh, to the 39 Articles of Religion for the Anglican Church, and 21 homilies or 21 sermons. I thought, well, that'd be easy to be a preacher, wouldn't it? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're having number three today. Love number three? It's a wonderful sermon. Who loves number three? Who loves number three? 
Amen. Let's go. Uh, So if you didn't adhere to all of that, you're considered a dissenter. That's the pilgrims and even the Baptists over there. The Baptists, the pilgrims, the Moravians, others were were, were dissenters. And so they come. The problem with being a dissenter was that you could not get an education. Uh, There were certain jobs that were blocked from you. And there was real problems. And so Samuel, for his family and the interest, decided he would no longer be a dissenter. He would actually uh, go through the Church of England and be a a pastor. And so uh, John and Charles grew up in an Anglican or Church of England home. And even though they were barred from preaching uh, in the Anglican church at, at one point, they never left the church. They never wanted to leave the anchor. In fact, they never wanted to start a church. Uh, that was never uh, their interest uh, to start a church because their family had been so deeply rooted. I thought this was interesting. Suzanne, if you got uh, t- 19 kids, you need some rules. <laughs> this is her routine. Rise at 7. One hour of private prayer and journal. These are for the kids. <clears throat> okay. One hour of private prayer and journal writing. Uh, supervise the house, give orders for the day, family prayers. I don't know where breakfast is in here. <clears throat> Help Samuel educate the children. The school hours, 9 to 12, 2 to 5. Lunch between with one hour of private devotions. Family prayers at 6, dinner, private prayer, journal writing, Bible study, to bed by 8. Pretty rigid. <clears throat> Uh, that would be between uh, 12 and 2. <clears throat> yeah. And she raised <clears throat> some remarkable children. Uh, and you ought to read <clears throat> some of the things about her. Uh, John uh, actually wrote that there had been no one in his life who had taught him the Bible or understand Christianity more than his mother. Uh, she was a force to be reckoned with. Uh, in fact, one, one of the uh, occurrences that happened one time Samuel had gone to London, and uh, she decided that the curate or the assistant pastor there at St. Andrews was not doing that good of a job. And so she decided on Sunday evening she would have a time of readings. They'd read devotional material and prayers for her children and others. Well, kept growing, 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 got to be 200 uh, people that that were out in the yard listening to her. And uh, the curate or the associate pastor writes to Samuel and says, your wife needs to stop this. Again, remember, it's real rigid. You can't be a, can't be a preacher or pastor unless you're a, an ordained Anglican priest. It's got to be in the church. And so Samuel writes her a letter and says, uh, <clears throat> I'll mess it up. He says, I heard about this. And he says, I'm asking you, I'm asking you if you would please stop this. It's caused him much trouble. She writes him back. And she goes, do not, do not tell me you wish for me to end this. Command me. Command me that I stop so that when I stand before the great white throne judgment of God, my conscience can be clear of not keeping this act- activity going. That's the kind of woman she was. Don't tell me you want me to. You command me because when I stand before God, I'm going to say, he told me. <laughs> he said I had to. She, she was a force. She, she indeed uh, was a force to be dealt with. And then this house here, you'll get a better picture here. This is the actual house they lived in. Yeah. Burnt down twice, not completely. But uh, <clears throat> Samuel was not considered a very popular pastor. 
um, he was um, pretty rude and terrible money manager. This is why Susanna had to take such steps because he was constantly dead. He went to debtor's prison at one point uh, because he couldn't handle his money and the people didn't like him. And so there is some evidence that both house fires were start by parishioners. <laughs> that, yeah, you know, if we can't get him to leave, we'll uh, take him out. <clears throat> uh, there's some, some, some thought about that. This is a better, better picture. It's been somewhat rebuilt, but the house, the timbers in there are still from about 1400, 1500. It's just amazing how old this stuff is. Uh, and here's a picture of a fire that happened when Charles, or John, was uh, six years old. Happened on uh, February the 9th, uh, 1709. Uh, the house caught on fire on February the 9th, and um, they got everybody out of the house except John. He's six years old, <clears throat> the upper part of the house. He awakens, he says, and the room is filled with, with light. And he realized something wrong. And he goes to the edge of the window and they see him. Now they called him Jackie. Uh, John that w- called him Jackie. And he's in the, the, uh, the window. They don't have time to get a ladder. And so <clears throat> this is a rendition. The men in the community. Uh, this is, uh, I'll give you an idea about Samuel. This is Samuel. This is dad. And I'm thinking, why aren't you over there helping? <clears throat> this is his dad. The depiction. And they're making a human ladder to get John out. And just about the time they get him out, the roof collapses. And one of the people said that must have been God's mercy because the, 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 the roof collapsed in. Had it collapsed out, it killed them all on the edge. When, she, when he comes out of the fire or out of this, his mother... Uh, I'm just, I will tell you too, I'm stunned at the recall that these people had of Scripture. They didn't watch television. They didn't goof around. They read the Bible. As you could tell those rules, they read the Bible three or four times a day. And Susanna, when John comes out, she goes, uh, it's out of uh, Zechariah 2 that says, Are you not a brand pulled from the fire? And she devoted special time to him because she believed that this was providential. That God had something planned for him. Uh, And all through his life, he would refer to that. That he'd been a brand pulled out of the fire. Now, they grew up there. Went to school at Charterhouse in London for elementary school. But then he went to Christ Church in Oxford. This is Christ Church in Oxford. Oxford, as you know, is is a consortium of colleges. There's... Uh, you know, there's uh, St. Magdalene. That's where uh, C.S. Lewis went to school. By the way, we went by, we're driving in, and the eagle and the, help me. The eagle and the child. The eagle and the child coffee shop where Tolkien and uh, C.S. Lewis is out of business. Yeah. I said to somebody, I said, that's a national treasure. The government should have kept that thing open. But it's out, it's out, just closed up. Drive in. But it's a consortium of called Madeline, Mag, Mag, Magdalene, uh, uh, Christ Church. Uh, all, this is where he went to school um, to train uh, for the priesthood. Um, and it's a marvelous building. Uh, and it's also, this is kind of the in, inside of it, these beautiful grounds uh, where students would come out. 
Um, he, he went here for his undergrad and uh, master's. Um, also, this is the dining hall. Does that look familiar? Yeah. From what? Harry Potter. Harry Potter. <clears throat> this dining room is at Christ Church where Wesley went to school. And um, it was the dining room that they used in Harry Potter. At the end of this picture, <clears throat> at the end of this, you can see all these, photo, uh, these uh, uh, portraits all up and down the side. Uh, John Locke. Uh, was part of this school, uh, uh, several other notable people and their portraits on the side. But at the very end of there, at the very end, conspicuously large and all, is Henry VIII, <laughs> who made sure this place uh, got going. <clears throat> um, but this is, this is uh, where he went to school. And make sure I've got my pictures right here. And uh, <clears throat> this is a picture here of a... Uh, just a wonderful uh, guy who was uh, leading in prayer at noon. Uh, and this pulpit is one of the pulpits Wesley preached out of, original. Um, and he was leading us in prayers. I got to talk to him a little bit. Uh, and they have a, a section there in the floor, this uh, John Wesley, students of Christ Church, leaders of the Methodist revival ordained in this cathedral. Uh, so it was a pretty... pretty um, pretty kind of moving uh, moment uh, for many of us. Uh, in this same area, uh, there's uh, another uh, church or another university, St. Mary's. This is St. Mary's. Um, <clears throat> uh, Wesley preached here in 1741 and then, or, and, and, and then or, uh, 1733 and then 1741. And he preached a sermon there. Uh, <clears throat> of course, one of the reasons we know so much about John Wesley is he wrote everything down. He journaled. Remember his mom? Journal in the morning, journal in the evening. He wrote everything. I mean, if you've ever seen the works of John Wesley, it's like 14 volumes. And the journal of John Wesley is about eight volumes. So we know everything about it. I mean, every, you know, how his horse did, you know, what he had for lunch. I'm serious. You get in there. He preached here. And he was so disgusted with the theology faculty and students. He preached a sermon called... There's two titles to it. Uh, one is called Scriptural Christianity, but the other one is the most famous called The Almost Christian. And he preached to them all and said, you're almost all a Christian. <laughs> you're almost a Christian. And he writes in his journal after he finished, probably will never be asked back to St. Mary's to preach. <laughs> <clears throat> now, you know, there's a couple of <clears throat> resources I've, at different times, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, you should never read that by yourself. It's strong medicine, the cost of discipleship. Wesley's sermon, The Almost Christian, is some of the strongest medicine I've ever read. Uh, it's also available online at Northern Nazarene University, nnu.edu. All of Wesley's works are there, digitized. Uh, you might want to read it, but I'm telling you, it is some strong medicine. I can see why they were offended. Uh, he quotes out of Peter that they have a form of religion, but deny the power thereof. And he said, you're moral, but you do it. He's, he made this statement that the, 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 ungodly, the ungodly obey out of fear of punishment and the godly obey out of love of virtue. And uh, that's a pretty stout statement there. Uh, so anyway, it's a great church, uh, beautiful. We, we, we got to go in there and, and hang around a little bit. And, uh, and this were our hotel accommodations. Yeah. <laughs> Troy stayed. I needed a big clock. You know, I was tired all the time. 
No, we just uh, goofed around there for a while. That's London, obviously. And now we moved to London. London is kind of the center of a lot of things that are happening in Wesley. So I want to kind of give an interest here. In London, uh, John Wesley was fellowshipping with and met some Moravians. These are German pietists. Pietism is a, from Spangler and a lot of other influences, but German pietism was the idea that one would have a personal relationship with God through personal faith. Not because you were baptized in the church, not because you're a church member, but because you had a personal evangelical encounter with God. <clears throat> he runs into the, Wesley meets these people and is very intrigued because he is from uh, 1725 to 1733, uh, uh, sorry, 1725 to 1738. He's not sure he's a Christian. Oh, he's a priest <laughs> uh, because he had no assurance. He said he, when his dad died, uh, <clears throat> Uh, Wesley said his dad kept repeating one statement over and over that affected me. And, and, and Samuel was saying, the witness, the witness, the witness. And what he's referring to is out of Romans 8, 15, for you've not received the spirit of slavery, but you've received the spirit of adoption where we cry, Abba, Father. For the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. And Wesley would say he didn't have that witness. And Again, I've been a minister a long time, and I know lots of people. I, I think it's a little bit of a secret that there are many people that love Jesus and have put their faith in him. They don't have a lot of assurance. I don't know why. It's personality, all kinds of things. But Wesley was really struggling with this. He did not have a real deep sense of assurance. And Pete Bowler, Peter Bowler uh, was uh, a guy that began to instruct him. And he would, would say to Wesley <clears throat> that, you, that you can be made right with God by faith instantly. That was just way off the map for the Church of England. In fact, Charles <clears throat> writes that he had met Peter Bowler and they were talking. And he said, I considered Peter Bowler a very rude man. And he writes, because Peter Bowler asked me, do I have any hope of salvation when I die? And Charles said, I have given my best endeavors to serve God. And he writes his Bowler just shakes his head and walks off. And then Charles writes this. He says, I found him very rude. For what else do I have if I do not have my endeavors to trust in? That give you an insight into the way they're approaching this. Work hard, serve And look, if you study Wesley from 1725 or before to 1738... This guy's living on 28 pounds a year and giving everything else away. He's preaching in the prisons. He's fasting twice a week. He's meeting with people and practicing spiritual practices. He's, no, he's not goofing around, but he's so tied up. Uh, so, so Pete Bowler, Peter, Peter, is really one of and, and And Charles said that. So they decide that what they would do is... If they don't have this assurance, they would do the hardest thing they could think of. So they went to Georgia with the Moravians on a mission trip to America, in, in, in America. It was a disaster. Um, <clears throat> and one of the things that happened to him was that when they were going and coming, they, they got into terrible storms. And <clears throat> Wesley commented in his journal that during these storms, he was scared to death. And he said, I was so embarrassed to be a Christian, afraid to die. 
And he said the Moravians were singing in the storm. And he asked the Moravian leader, do your people not fear death? And he said, no, we don't fear death. We have put our faith in Christ. And so <clears throat> Peter Bowler keeps talking to Wesley. He says this, look, <clears throat> preach faith until you have it. And then when you have it, you'll preach it. So Wesley started doing that. I mean, again, he's fasting twice a week. He's living on 28 pounds, giving everything else away. He's preaching in the prisons. So he goes to a, if you're kind of, he goes to a prison in London where he regularly, regularly preached. And he preached this, that you can be right with, great, right with God by faith immediately. And I've often taken a little pleasure in the fact that the first person that heard Wesley preach and was saved was a guy named Clifford. <laughs> and Wesley was stunned that this guy could hear that. And he said, the, the man said, the weight of sin is gone. And he was free. So London then becomes this place. And it's a lot of, a lot of you know, um, he's getting together with people. You may have heard of it called the Holy Club. They got together to, to fast, to pray, to read the Bible, to preach in the prisons and do service. It was not a pietism like I'm just going to pray and read my Bible. They went to the prisons. They, they preached. They helped the poor. Did all kinds of things. Um, and, and so all of this. By the way, Holy Club is not the thing they came up with. They didn't call themselves that. Everybody else called them that. They called them Bible moths. Holy Club. These are, these are terms of derision. They're, they're not compliments. Super irrigation men is what they called them. Not irrigation, irrigation, ir, not ir, irrigation, meaning doing too much, <clears throat> too much. Super irrigation, not irrigation. Yeah, I get it. We were in a town, though, with Kansas. <clears throat> uh, but, but, but they, they were dis, disdained on them. Uh, they weren't, that wasn't a compliment to them, but they were committed to being there. <clears throat> so they're part of these societies and groups. So on, one, on, on, on May the on May the 21st, 1738, Pentecost, which was the day I preached at Wesley Memorial Chapel, and I said to these people, remember Charles on this day? And they go, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> he had this experience where he knew that, he was, that Christ died for him on May the 21st, 1738, by Charles. John is still struggling. Peter Boulder's talking to him, <clears throat> working with him. And on May the 24th, 1738, about 15 minutes till 9, he goes to a small group meeting, which we call the Fetter Lane Society of Moravians on Aldersgate Street. And Wesley said, I went very reluctantly, very reluctant. It wasn't any frame of mind. He said, I went very reluctant. And, and, and one of the people there were reading the preface to the book of Romans by Martin Luther. And these immortal words that ring down through Methodist history when Wesley said, I felt my heart strangely warmed that Christ died for me. And his life was radically changed in an instant, like Peter Bowler had told him. It happened in that moment. And there is a monument here on Aldersgate Street that recounts this uh, wonderful event. <clears throat> that Wesley now had the assurance that he was saved, that Jesus died. And I don't know, you know, I've talked to you guys, if, you're new, if you are new, you've heard this, but 
I had a similar experience. I was uh, 40, uh, 49 years old, had been teaching at a university, Bible and theology, for 15 years. And in Kansas City, Missouri, in a prayer time, I can go back to October 20th, 2003, and tell you the place, the time, and where I was when I heard the words from Jesus, He for me, that Jesus died for me. First time in my entire life. October 20th, 2003. I labored and struggled and lived my life as best I knew how to follow Jesus, but I did not have that assurance until then. Man, I, you know, I, I had been to seminary, had an had a, had a undergraduate degree in theology, had a master's degree in theology, and had a doctorate. And yet, so I really identify with this guy. When I heard the words from Jesus, he, or out of Isaiah 53, he for me. This changed Wesley's life. It changes so much he began to say, the world is now my parish. You can see that on the ground there. there it's in metal. It's a little hard to see. <clears throat> but this is a place in Bristol called Hannam Hill. I'm from Texas, and so I'm talking to this guy in Bristol. I said, where's Hanham Hill? And he, huh? And I said, I need to go to Hanham Hill. You know, where Wesley, oh, you mean Hannam and I'm thinking, give me a break, brother. Give me a break. That's close enough. <clears throat> but, but Wesley, after this incredible experience, began to preach. A guy named George Whitfield, who was a great preacher, came to America. Just George, Benjamin Franklin said he could hear him a mile away. But <clears throat> Whitfield has started this revival. This sloping area here, where the house would have been there, is where coal miners would come out and have their lunch. And Whitfield thought, a captive audience, he started preaching 1,600, 2,000 miners, and people started getting saved. These were rough people. Nobody was coming to them. Again, <clears throat> Wesley resisted preaching in the fields when he said, I thought it a sin that anyone gets saved anywhere but the church. <laughs> this is how tightened up he was. Again, dissenters, all that deal. <clears throat> he said, I thought it sin. He goes there out of Whitfield just pressuring him because Whitfield said, I'm going to America. I need somebody to keep this going on. Will you stay here and preach? Wesley stays. He looks out there in one of the most moving things in his journal. He says as he preaches the gospel on this area, it's an elevated area, and these miners, he said, I looked out and I saw rivulets of tears coursing down the black soot of the miners' faces. And he said, I determined to be more vile. <laughs> if that's what it takes to convert these miners, tears streaming down their faces, cutting a rivulet of tears. And he decided, the world's my parish. I don't have to preach in a church. I can preach anywhere. Anybody will listen. And because of that, at one point, they said during one week, over 20,000 miners were preached to in a week. It was a thing. It was happening. And so because of that, they had to build a room. The Brits are interesting. They got so much old stuff. You know what they call this? The new room. You know what they call the chapel in, in London they built? The new chapel. Because <laughs> everything's old. But this is the new room. Where Wesley would have preached, I got to get up there in the pulpit. <clears throat> this is it. They built a room here to be able to then now bring these people in and come to faith and disciple them and work with them. This place not only, though, was a place for preaching at 5.30 in the morning. Wesley got really bent out of shape one time. There were a bunch of preachers. 
And they're supposed to be down at 530 preaching. And he gets down there. Nobody's down there. So he starts preaching. And then he made a rule. Everybody's going to bed at 9 around here. <laughs> uh, but they, they preached. They put small groups together. Disciple. But what's fascinating to me is they also use this to bring poor children in to educate them. Poor children didn't get to go to school. It was also a micro-lending uh, company where they would lend, loan you up to 20 pounds to start a business or to get what you needed. And somewhere I read said the repayment was like 98%. And so the new room that's in Bristol is kind of the hit where Hanham Hill is, or Hanham Hill as far as I'm concerned, uh, where Hanham Hill is. And this is, this is all, all, all going on here uh, in this uh, marvelous, marvelous place. Bristol was again. So Wesley's preaching all over the place. Now I'm coming back to Epworth here just for a second. <clears throat> uh, that's me. <clears throat> and um, hard to see. Uh, this is the grave of Samuel Wesley, his dad. And on June the 6th, 1742, he comes back home. He, now this is all, the, the, the revival's happened. He's had his heart strange. He's, he's preaching everywhere. He comes back to Epworth and everybody hears about it. And they, they, everybody's excited John Wesley's going to preach. They didn't like his dad, but they really liked him. And so uh, John's coming back. He's going to preach. He's going to preach. Ah, we're all excited. So everybody shows up. Well, the curate there or the, decides he, he's a little jealous. So he decides he's not going to let Wesley preach. So what John Wesley does, this is right outside the church. This is his dad's grave. He gets up on it and starts preaching. <laughs> Hundreds of people there. He just decided, okay, that's all right. I've been preaching out in the field. I can preach on a, on a, on a cemetery tombstone. So this is his dad. It's, kind of, it's sort of a famous place uh, there. I think I maybe have another one. Nope. Then, we, then, then this is, so the revival keeps going. The revival keeps going in Bristol, Newcastle, other places. It's, it, it's going over the road. Now, it, it, now they're moving their headquarters to London. This is the new chapel, or called the City Road Chapel. Before that was called the Foundry. If anybody has any background in Methodism, you've probably heard Foundry, Foundry, all kinds of stuff. Because when they first went to England, they were out in a kind of a marshy area, and they bought a building. Wesley borrowed money, got others to give. <clears throat> borrowed money to take over an old foundry. There'd been a cannon factory for George or Bob or, so, I don't know, King Bob, King Charles, one of those guys. Uh, <clears throat> They had been a, a cannon fa fa uh, foundry, and they had a terrible explosion, blew the place up, so they deserted it, so it was available. So they built this old rickety building at the foundry, and again, preaching, educating children, um, loaning money to the poor, uh, just go become that. And they just finally outgrow it, uh, and they build this, uh, what they call the, it's a, called the New Chapel or the, the City Road Chapel uh, by some accounts. And this is, I, I'm sure John Wesley is rolling over in his grave that they would build a monument to him. Uh, this guy lived a Spartan life, um, 28 pounds. When he died, he had two silver spoons to his name. That's all he had. He'd given everything away. They say millions and millions of dollars. Came. By the way, he wrote a book for the poor called Primitive Physic. Uh, which is a book on medicine. Wesley dabbled in everything. Electricity, uh, economics, and he wrote a book called Primitive Physic, which was, were home remedies and common things for the poor. They didn't have access to medical care. 
It was republished 32 times. It was the most popular books in 18th century England. And he wrote, why? Just because he wanted, and he didn't take any of the money, just gave it back through. So this is part of that new, new chapel. Uh, this is a bad picture, but this is an actual chair that he had. Uh, a guy gave, uh, there was a guy that was a, where they fought uh, chickens and stuff like that for, for money, uh, got saved under Wesley's ministry and had this chair. It's a, it's a weird, I, I wish I had a better picture, but there's kind of arms that you can kind of hang over like that. He'd watch the pit while they're doing that. So he said, Mr. Wesley, I want to give you this. And so he gave him that chair and Wesley uh, could sit in it or stand on it to preach. He was only about five foot four. A little guy, but one author said he was made of iron. He preached over 40,000 sermons, never got a blood blister on his vocal cords. Marty. <laughs> Rode a horse 250,000 miles. And they said he was never uh, without work. When he's riding in the saddle, He's writing sermons. But in the new chapel, <clears throat> this is what they call the uh, Wesley Powerhouse. Jay, they don't have, the, they don't have <clears throat> the kneeling bench anymore. But this is the room where Wesley would pray. And they called it the Powerhouse of Methodism. These are the actual uh, little uh, <clears throat> table. That's the actual room, the flooring, all of that. They're in the new chapel. <clears throat> Uh, I missed a thing here. I have a picture. Don't I? Thought I did. Maybe I don't. Uh, there's a desk in there. Uh, it's back there. Jay challenged me. Uh, it's roped off. It was his actual writing desk. Charles, John Wesley's. And so the ladies kicked us through there, and I just said to her, I'm kind of a rule keeper. And I just said, may I touch it? <laughs> and the sweetest British accent goes, if lightly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I thought I had that in there, but I got a picture there of me doing this. <laughs> kind of, you know, I want to be a little discreet here. I don't want to be taken off by the British bobbies, you know. And, uh, but, but it's an actual desk that he wrote sermons. <laughs> Thought I had it. Um, <clears throat> the what? Yeah. Uh, one of the privileges of my life. This is the pulpit at Epworth, the Wesley Memorial Methodist Church. And they asked me to preach on Pentecost Sunday. Now, Beth does a better job celebrating Pentecost here than they do there. I'm just telling you. I want to eat cake. Uh, but that's the pulpit. You mount it. You walk up the steps. And uh, it was a surreal experience to then walk up on Pentecost Sunday. Again, this is the date in 1738 on Pentecost when Charles Wesley's heart, uh, heart was strangely warmed. By the way, when, when we were at Samuel Wesley's, you know, when John preached on the, on the grave... John did that on June the 6th, 1742. We were there on June the 5th, 2022. 
missed it by a day. But this is the, this is the pulpit uh, there. And the, the rector was so kind. And then somebody took this. I don't remember. Let's see. It's Pentecost. I told Becky and told several others, um, you, you may not believe this. I didn't clear my throat one time. <laughs> and I told her, told Becky once through, I'm more nervous this morning talking to you than I was there. I cannot explain it. I cannot explain it. You were praying. Yeah. Because when I mounted that pulpit, there was a sense of being buoyed up by the Spirit of God. I saw Ron Mon on the Zoom and Stuart and some others that 4.30 in the morning, you know, I thought I had more friends, but you just have to, you know, I just have to come, come to find out. Uh, but I had the privilege of, of, of preaching and um, These words, <laughs> Charles wrote as a memorial to his own conversion. And can it be that I should gain an entrance in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused him pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be? That thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Amazing love, how can it be? That thou, my God, shouldst die for me. You know, I, I think some of us at times, myself included, I, I think we've been Christians too long to not realize how amazing the love of God. I love that other line. Long my imprisoned soul did lay it dark in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. Uh, I, I diffused a quick. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose and went to follow thee. Uh, these lyrics, these songs, the other great song we sang, Arise, my soul, arise, shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in thy behalf appears. Before the throne my surety stands. Before the throne my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayer. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransom sinner die. These hymns, these songs were a testimony to what God had done in the hearts of John and Charlie and, 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 and millions of others. And so when I left or were leaving, I'm asking, what's my life? Where's my life? How is my life mattering, not only now, but for generations to come? As Dick said, not only the church now, but we've talked about this. We want crossings to be this kind of place in 150 years if Jesus tarries. That it just keeps going. It just keeps growing. It just keeps introducing people to this. So uh, it, it was an amazing trip. Uh, I went to places I've read about, uh, you know, uh, and be there, but... These words uh, capture, can it really be for you and me? Can it, can it really be God's amazing love for us? It, it is. But maybe it ought to shock us a little bit. Maybe, 
Maybe, maybe it ought to stun us a little bit every once in a while. That God's love is such that he would die for me. I'm convinced, personally, you don't, you don't have to agree with this. I, I'm convinced that the journey that John and Charles were on, that they were so serious about their relationship with God. They were so um, unwilling to be flippant about what it meant to be saved. They were so unwilling to be dismissive. Of course, Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, he died for the whole. They were so unwilling to be dismissive of that is why their hearts were inflamed when they had the assurance that Jesus died for them. May the same be for us, that we would not be flippant or dismissive, that just because we can quote a verse or know a word to say, it is amazing that Christ would die for me. It is beyond belief. So I leave that with you. Amazing love. How can it be? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We know we don't follow John Wesley or John Newton or any of these people. We follow you. But they have been faithful guides to help us, to point the way. William Cowper, Augustus Toplady, John and Charles Wesley, Hal Harris, Francis Asbury, Thomas Cook, Adam Clark. They were captured by your amazing love. Would you do that for us? You say you're no respecter of persons. We lean into it. We don't want to be dismissive. We don't want to be flippant. We don't want to be cavalier and casual about your love for us. Do in our hearts, warm our hearts, inflame our hearts, wreck our hearts with your love. And we will, as the Wesley boys, they didn't just pray and read their Bible. They cared for the poor. They educated poor children. They set up hospitals and places. It sounds a little bit like crossings to us, Lord. Help us to be in that spirit, that, that, that way. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.